glad to get into his word this morning. I'm glad that, man, he's given us a beautiful day yesterday, today, I think tomorrow, Tuesday. Uh, what wonderful time, and uh, I'm glad we can come in and worship him one more time. You know, I don't, I don't want to take this for granted. There may, there's going to be a day in every one of our lives where we can't come in here anymore. You know, yeah. we live long enough, and we would give anything to come one more time, you know, to worship him. Uh, so I'm glad we can come today. But Isaiah 41, uh, we're going to start in verse 21 this morning. A little different of a passage, uh, uh, but Lord, I, I just trust the Lord that he'll help us today. Isaiah 41, 21 says this, Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring them forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things what they be, and what that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare us things for to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that ye are gods, yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. Behold, ye are of nothing, and your work of naught. An abomination is he that chooseth you. I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come from the rising of the sun. Shall he call upon my name, and, and he shall come upon princes as upon mortar, and as the potter treadeth clay. Who hath declared from the beginning that we may know, and before time that we may say he is righteous? Yea, there is none that showeth. Yea, there is none that declareth. Yea, there is none that heareth your words. The first shall say to Zion, Behold, behold them, and I will give to Jerusalem one that bringeth uh, good tidings. For I beheld, and there was no man, even among them, and there was no counselor that when I asked of them could answer a word. Behold, they are all vanity, their works are nothing, their molten images are wind and confusion. Let's go to the Lord for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again. Lord, I ask that you would help me today, help me to preach the message you've laid on my heart. And Lord, help us to listen and to understand. And uh, uh, Lord, the, we ask the Holy Spirit to do the work that uh, you promised that he would do. And Lord, I pray that you touch hearts, uh, that you would convict, that you draw us closer to you. And Lord, teach us from your word today. Lord, if there's any lost, I pray that today be the day they come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. Amen. So the book of Isaiah changes gears in the chap in chapter forty. Uh, the the ones right before chapter forty are Hezekiah. So Isaiah talks about Hezekiah. If you remember, the Assyrian army uh, is coming, uh, and I, Hezekiah prays to the Lord. He spreads out the letters on the altar, and the Lord that next night uh, wipes out a huge number, uh, nearly two hundred thousand soldiers of the Assyrian army. Uh, but then right after that, Hezekiah. Uh, does a foolish thing after that. He invites the Babylonians to come and he shows them everything. He shows them every treasure, all the gold, the silver, the spices, everything. He shows them. Uh, and then Isaiah tells him after that that those same Babylonians you showed everything are one day going to come and take it all from uh, you. Really not him, but the next generation to come. Uh, the future generations, he'll do that. Uh, and then in chapter 40, like I said, uh, through the end of the book of Isaiah, he starts talking about future things. And I like, uh, especially, you know I like chapter 53. He talks about the Messiah that will suffer yeah. for our sins. Uh, that's good stuff. And, and Isaiah, if you didn't know this, is the most quoted book in the Old Testament in the New. So in the New Testament, they quote Isaiah more than any other book in the Bible. It's very important uh, to God 
And uh, at this point, when we get to uh, chapter 41, uh, remember the kingdom uh, of, of Israel and the kingdom of Judah is split into two nations. Uh, the northern kingdom of Israel has already been taken captive of the Syrians. They're already in bondage. But the southern kingdom is not yet in bondage yet. The, the Babylonians haven't come yet. Uh, they haven't been taken captive. And you remember some of the things that Isaiah uh, and some of the other prophets were warning. They're saying, hey, you've got to turn. You've got to turn from your wickedness, your idolatry, uh, and everything else. Um, but God is trying to get them to repent, and they wouldn't. Uh, so they're, uh, one of the things that they did, the, the southern kingdom, just like the northern kingdom had done before, they put their trust in heathen nations. Instead of going to God, they wanted to make a league with the Egyptians or with somebody else to save them from the Assyrians, right? And remember, Hezekiah even tried to pay off the Assyrians. That didn't work either. So all these things they're trying to do, uh, instead of going to the Lord, uh, uh, the question really is, who are they going to put their trust in? Are they going to trust the Lord or are they going to trust something else? Themselves or something else in the world? And you know that's really the question we have to answer ourselves today. Are we going to put our trust in God or are we going to put our trust in this world, our bank account, our own strength, uh, whatever that we have access to? It's the same question. So this passage is a little different uh, the Lord is trying to help them to figure out who they need to put their trust in. And he does something strange right here. And if you didn't realize what he's saying, uh, he tells them in verse 21, he says, the Lord says, produce your cause. And what he's saying is you present your case. Uh, he, he's saying you bring your strong reasons. You tell the court why your idol is more faithful than me. How your idol supplies your needs and everything else. Uh, you Or you tell me how uh, the Lord is saying you prove uh, how uh, I have not done something that I promised to do. Uh, and it, it seems a little ridiculous if you think about it for a second. That the Lord uh, is trying to get their attention uh, and he is trying to, he's being serious to them and he's trying to get them to realize, hey, if I have fallen short uh, and your God or your idol has picked up the slack, I want you to tell us. And here's the same question we could ask ourselves today. If we were presenting a case against the Lord, would we accuse him of not doing something? Would we be able to prove uh, that he has fallen short on one of his promises? No. He, he's saying, hey, prove to us that worshiping idols uh, is better or even necessary at all. So we've got this court case that's happening right here. And if you didn't know this, I, I did go to law school. It's been quite a few years now. Uh, but So I started to get a little excited when I thought about this. Uh, not because court cases are exciting. They're boring, actually, if you watch them. Uh, but it's exciting to think of God using this analogy. So uh, one of the things I want to uh, think about is, you know, it's easier sometimes to see something, right? To, to give a visual. So I, I don't have an idol, but I have a little thing we picked up. Uh, this was from El Salvador, the first time I think I ever went. Uh, one of the things in the town that we stay in, there's this giant pyramid. You know, so we stay in the hotel. You go around the, you know, a couple blocks away. You turn a corner, and all of a sudden, in the middle of this little town, is a giant uh, Mayan pyramid. And you're like, my goodness. 
Uh, so, of course, they have these little vendors, and I picked up this little jade uh, uh, little thing that kind of looks like the, the pyramid, just as something to remember the trip by. But we're going to pretend this is my idol today, okay? This is my idol that I created. I worship it. We, I, I don't have time, but we could come up with a name and different things like that and give a feast in certain seasons and say it does certain things. Uh, but that's the idol today. And God's saying, hey, I want you to plead your case, right? I want you to prove to me that the idol is better than I am. The idol is able to take care of your needs. And see, here's the thing. If we were to put God on trial today... You know what happens a lot on social media if you haven't seen God's put on trial, right? You know what they'll do? They'll bring forth evidence how the, some church has let them down, right? Or some pastor has let them down or somebody has let them down. And I'm here to tell you that happens. That happens. You stick around here long enough and we will let one another down. We'll right. disappoint one another. We'll offend one another. We'll say things we shouldn't or, or maybe we should have done something if we didn't. I, I, I will be the first to admit. And if the church has truly wronged you today and, and they never said sorry for that, I'll be the first one to apologize on their behalf. Because I know there are people that have got to apologize on my behalf too. Right? And we need to do that. We need to say, you know what? Uh, I'm sorry that the church has done that to you uh, and everything else. But one of the things I, I, God showed me this in witnessing one time, uh, you know, he was talking about the story of how, uh, you know, the church had let him down and his mom, uh, you know, they had done these things to him uh, and his family. And I, I, I didn't know what to say because it was a hard story to hear. Uh, but then the Lord just gave it to me for free. He said, okay, but now how has Jesus let you down? Yeah. Right? I'll let you down. We'll let one another down. But Jesus will never let right, you down. Right. right? Bring your evidence not to prove that I'm not worthy because that's easy. Bring the evidence to prove he's not worthy of worship. That's the key right there. That's what God is asking. Uh, who is on trial? Remember, it's the idol versus the Lord. That's what the trial is. Verse 22. Let them bring forth and show us what uh, shall happen. Let them show the former things what they shall be, that we may consider them. Uh, and the latter of them will declare things for to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know uh, that ye are gods. Uh, yea, uh, ye do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. So he calls the idols to the witness stand. The Lord does, and they say nothing. Right? There's no right. response. Nothing. There's no response from the idol. And this shouldn't surprise us, should us? Because Psalm 115, 4 through 7 says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet they have, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They're not bringing any response to the Lord's case, right? They're not. Uh, so here's what happens. The Lord switches gears. Uh, since they can't make their own case, the Lord starts questioning them right here. That's what he says. Uh, let them bring them forth and show us what will happen. Then he says, declare us things for to come. You know what he's saying? The Lord is saying to the idol and to the idol worshipers, hey, why don't you ask your idol what's going to happen tomorrow? Right? 
What's going to happen a month from now, a year from now, a decade from now, centuries from now, millennia from now? What's going to happen? Tell us the future that then we'll know that they are God's. Tell us the future. You realize that's what separates men from God? Is being able to tell the future? That's one of the things. You and I, we can guess what will happen tomorrow, right? I can guess because I know it's a Monday that odds are uh, many of us that work or we're going to get up or those who go to school are going to get up at a certain time the alarm's going to go off you're going to get ready uh, you're going to go to, to work or to school or whatever you've got different obligations because that's what you do on Mondays yeah. but guess what something could happen tonight and Monday won't look anything like normal Right? Have you been there before? You thought tomorrow would be a normal day and then you find yourself in the hospital or something's wrong or something uh, tragic has happened that changes the entire course of your life. You didn't know it was coming, but God does. God does. Amen. He knows how to get us ready for things for the future because He knows the future. Aren't you glad? And yet again, the idol couldn't present his case. He couldn't tell the future. So then he goes, let them show the former things what they be. Not only can God show the future, but God can tell us what happened in the past. Not only can he tell us, he can explain it to us. Right? You and I, who was there when this world was formed? None of us. And if God never told us from his word what happened, we would have no clue. Now you ask the scientists and they know exactly what happened, right? And I think, well, if you're so sure of yourself, right? If, if it's so easy uh, uh, to do this, and always, they always go back and they'll go really far back. And then all the way at the beginning of their explanation, here's the problem I find every time. They don't start with nothing. They always have to have something to start That's with. Right. Guess what? Our God started with nothing. And he stepped out into nothing. He needed nothing. And he spoke this world into existence. Right? Yeah. And he told us why he created us. We're not random chance. We're not an accident. We're not uh, millions of years of evolution. That's not why we're here today. We were created by God. He created us special from the dust of the earth. He breathed life into us, made man a living soul. That's what the Bible says happened. And then we uh, are, are different. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't die for everybody. We talked about that the other day. But he died for mankind. We are different today. Yeah. And we're not here by accident. That God can explain the past and He can tell us what's coming in the future. So, again, there's no answer, no answer from the idol. So, then finally, the Lord's last question yay, do good or do evil? You know what He's asking the idol? Do something, something to prove who you are. And yet again, nothing happened, right, Jimmy? Nothing happened. Challenge after challenge, question after question, the idol is still silent. So now the Lord starts breaking through the silence. Verse 24. Behold, here of nothing, and your work of naught, and abomination is he that chooseth you. You are nothing, he says. You have no value. You are worthless. Uh, just a piece of gold or silver or wood or stone that someone's carved. Right? Somebody took a piece of jade, if that's really what it is, uh, and they carved these lines through it. They made a shape. That way they could sell it to us. Right? Yeah. They didn't. That's all they did. Somebody made that one day, hoping that somebody would buy it and they could make some money. 
You may be nice to look at, but God's saying you're worthless. You can't explain the past. You can't tell us the future. You can't do anything for us today. You're a work of naught. That's what he says. All the time and energy used to, to make the idol, to create it, to dream up the story, to have the backstory and everything else. Uh, uh, he's saying it's all worthless. And you know, here's the problem right here. I don't understand how we think as a, a human being we can create a God with our own hands. Because we're not God. Right? How can we create something bigger than ourselves? We can't. We can't. Only God can do that. And finally, he says, he makes it plain. Any man or woman that chooses to submit their life to an idol and chooses an idol over the true and living God is an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. That's what he says. Then in verse 25, he shifts gears right here. I've raised up one from the north. So later on, so now the Lord is going to prove right here. He's going to say, I'll tell you the future. He's already told them, but he's saying, hey, one is going to come from the north. And you're already going to be taken captive by the Babylonians. But I'm going to send Cyrus, king of Persia, your way uh, from the north. He's going to conquer the Babylonians. He's going to allow you to return to Jerusalem and rebuild. And all that happens in Ezra chapter 1, just as God said it would. But you know, that's easy for God to do. Right? It's easy for him to show uh, Isaiah and Ezekiel uh, and Daniel and John the Revelator. It's easy for our God to show them the future because he knows it already. Verse 26. Who hath declared from the beginning that we may know and before time that we may say he is righteous. Yea, there is none that showeth. Yea, there is none that declareth. Yea, there is none that heareth your words. Who can declare the beginning that we can know it? We've already said it. Nobody. Nobody. Only the Lord's done that. He's a righteous God. And there's none that heareth your words. Remember, there was no response from the idol in the Lord's trial. The idol never spoke a word. And guess what? If they would admit it, the idol had never answered any of their prayers. In fact, whenever they prayed to some God of the harvest... It was by chance, really. It was just by whatever that season had coming, whether they had a good harvest or a bad one. Because here's how we know that. Uh, if they had a bad harvest, after praying to their harvest God, they didn't get rid of the harvest God. They kept it. Right? Maybe I didn't pray hard enough. Right? Maybe I didn't do enough. No, that's nothing. That's what God's trying to show them. No words. Nothing spoken. Verse 27. The first shall say to Zion, Behold, behold, behold them, and I will give to Jerusalem one that bringeth good tidings. He said, Not only am I going to send Cyrus, king of Persia, and I'm going to touch his heart and let him to help let you go to rebuild everything, but I'm going to send another one one day to you. Right? I'm going to send another one uh, that's not going to be anywhere near uh, Cyrus. He's going to be greater than Cyrus. There's going to be one called Jesus Christ that's yeah. going to come to you. He's going to come to Jerusalem. He's going uh, uh, to free you if you would just uh, trust in His salvation. One that bringeth good tidings of great joy. He's coming. And then now we get to verse 28. For I beheld there was no man even among them. And there was no counselor, no lawyer, uh, that when I asked of them could answer a word. The Lord brings every single idol. None could speak. 
None of the priests or pagans or anyone else that worshipped them could foretell the things to come. They had nothing to advocate. Nobody was pleading their case, bringing a defense. There was no answer. And here's the thing. You can make your case to me. And you may run into people that will make a case to you of why some idol is real. But they can't make the case in front of the real, true, living God. That separates everything. Right? We talked about Paul this morning in Sunday school. He was retelling his conversion story. And he had great zeal. He had the letters in hand. He was headed to Damascus to persecute more Christians. And all of a sudden, something stopped him in his tracks. And that was Jesus Christ. The same thing. Aren't you glad he touched your life and mine? Aren't you glad that he's real? Yeah. And once you encounter something real, everything else, everything that's deceptive and false immediately is made known to you. Verse 29. Behold, they are all vanity. Their works are nothing. Their molten images are wind and confusion. And that's the verdict right there. That's the end of the trial. Every single idol and everyone that worships them are all in vanity. What's vanity mean? Empty, temporary, unsatisfactory, and worthless. And then God adds on at the end. And by the way, all they'll ever do is bring you confusion. Because if something happens to happen after you pray to some lifeless thing, you'll think it was a lifeless thing when in all reality God said it rains on the just and the unjust. I'll bless uh, this field and that field just because that's what I choose to do. So if we were to stop right there, close up the Bible and say, you know what? We've learned something today, right? Maybe, I've never, maybe you could say I've never read that passage or maybe you've read it in your daily Bible reading and maybe you think, well, I, I never really understood what was going on there, so aren't you glad uh, we learned something today, right? And we could just walk away and say it was a good church service. And I would say, now, wait a second. Wait a second. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, you'll know these verses, says this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You know what Paul was telling young Timothy? He said, hey, uh, every verse in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is inspired by God, number one, amen. And it doesn't have any filler verses. There's nothing in there that's extra or that, you know, you can skip over. Every bit of it's important. He said all scripture is profitable for doctrine, and that doctrine helps us to know what's right and wrong, the truth, uh, the gospel itself. Those are all doctrine things. All scripture is profitable for reproof. That's conviction. The Bible does that, doesn't it? All scripture is profitable for correction, right? That's to get us back on track when we get off track, right? All scripture is profitable for instruction in righteousness. Aren't you glad that the Bible tells us what God expects of us? We don't have to guess, right? And all scripture uh, is profitable to thoroughly furnish you and I unto all good works. That says it is helpful. It will help you to serve the Lord today. All scripture is able to do all those things. You know what that tells me? This Bible is designed to give us the truth. It's designed to convict us when we need it, when we're going against God. It shows us how to get us back on track when we stray. It teaches us to live a life pleasing to God and will help you serve the Lord. Do you believe that today, that the Bible can do all those things for you? I do. 
Now let's go back to our passage today. Now the context here, uh, this is Isaiah, again speaking to Judah, uh, telling the Jews that were idol worshipping uh, and trying to show them, hey, uh, uh, what you're doing is wrong. He's trying to get their attention. So we see doctrine and truth in this passage, right? We see that God is real and the idols are worthless. That's truth, isn't it? We see that uh, that passage was uh, designed to get that idol worshiper to stop and think and realize what I'm doing is wrong. That's conviction, right? That's what it's doing. And then uh, they need to get rid of the idol and turn to the Lord. What's that? That's correction, repentance. And then worshiping idols is the opposite of righteousness. God calls it an abomination. And then finally, stop wasting your time with idols and serve the Lord instead. Right? That's the, that's the easy context right there. That's what we know uh, that Isaiah is telling these people. But again, we could close our Bibles right here. We could say it's been a good service. Uh, we can say those things. But remember what Paul told Timothy yet again. He said it. Yes, it, it is designed for the original audience. But it's also designed for you and I today. Yeah. The Old Testament. Oh, yes, it was true for Israel and Judah. But we need to ask ourselves, what's the Lord trying to teach us today in this passage for us today? What's he trying to do? And I want you to stop and think about this verse. I'm going to give you Ezekiel 14, 3. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at, at all by them? See, we think of idols as physical things, right? We think of statues. You know, you go to the Chinese food restaurant. They've got the Buddha. They've got the cat paw that I love seeing. You know, it's supposed to bring them good luck or something. It looks ridiculous, right? We see all these things, but these people really worship these things. They really believe that that's going to bring them good tidings. It's going to bring in more money to the restaurant. And like I said... If the restaurant has a bad year, do they get rid of the cat? No, they put fresh batteries in it, right? Maybe it'll help. It's vain, isn't it? That's easy for us if we laugh and we think about that. But you know what Ezekiel just said? That there are men that have set up idols, not in their restaurant, not the altar at the side of their house. They've set up the idol in their heart. I can't put this in my heart. But you know what that means? I can have something that's not physical be an idol in my heart. That's what God's saying right here. He's saying, hey, you know, the, uh, we think of statues and everything else and animals and things made out of wood, metal, and stone. And in the Old Testament, that was the most common. Uh, but here, if that was the only definition, then you and I, we're not really in danger. We never grew up in a society that believed in idols or statues or anything like that. Uh, but he's saying, hey, uh, an idol can be anything that we have set our affections upon or anything that takes the place of God in our heart. Oh, well, now the, the definition is much broader than we thought of. Right? An idol is anything apart from God that we depend on to be happy, fulfilled, or secure. Amen? Philippians 3.9 talks about a group whose God is in their belly. Every physical desire, basically, they wanted, they did. And that was their God. That's what they worshipped, making themselves happy. And that's what we see a lot of today in our society. 
So I think we need to ask ourselves, see, it's easy to go to the Chinese food restaurant and think it's funny to see those things. And it's easy uh, for the statue I made up just to say, you know what, I'm not going to worship it anymore. But what about the idol that's in your heart? Yeah. What about the thing that's guiding your heart above the Lord? What's the thing that's taking precedence in your heart above God? What is that thing? Here's a test that will help. You can't think of something. It's something that if you let that down, it would disappoint you more than letting God down. Right? If you only had a certain amount of time or energy of money, would you would it go to the Lord? Or would it go to that thing in your heart? That's an idol. That's an idol. And we could go back to the trial that we just laughed about and just thought was funny. And you put that thing on your heart on the witness stand and you ask the same questions, right? You put it up against the Lord, whatever it is. What's the thing that's got your affection today? God's saying it's vain. Why? Because you have turned it into a God. Before that point, it was fine. But once that thing takes the reins of your heart, it's a God. And it's a problem. It's vain. God says you can pour everything into that. And at the end, you'll be unsatisfied, unfulfilled. It won't help you when you're down. It won't do things for you. It can't tell you the future. It can't explain the past. But that's where the Lord stops and says, where that idol falls short, I do not. Right? With that desire of your heart that has the reins of your heart, where it falls short, I do not. He says, you can fully give your life to me, and you can trust me, and I will take care of you, and I'll explain the past to you, and I'll tell you the future. Why? Because I love you. That's Jesus today. He's real today. What's preventing you from fully dedicating your heart to Christ today? Whatever it is, it's just as worthless as the Old Testament statue. You know what I say? Don't let some vain thing keep you from Jesus Christ. Don't let some vain thing keep you from giving your heart to Jesus. From having Him save you of your sins. Don't let something in this world get in the way of that. And if you're saved today, don't let something in this world or someone get in the way of serving Jesus Christ. He's worth it today. Put that idol of your heart on trial when you get home today. Let it answer for itself. And realize all that happens is this. It's the same every time. The only power the idol has is what you give. That's right. That's it. If I didn't bring my fake idol today to church, it couldn't get here by itself. Right? I noticed it was a little dusty, so I had to dust it off. Right? It couldn't, it couldn't clean me up. I had to clean it up. Same thing with whatever's in your life. Whatever, and here's the thing. When you're in the Bible, you know, we just talked about today. Is we've got to apply the Bible to us. What I did this morning is not a stretch. But if you're reading something in your daily Bible reading and you think, well, that's good for them back then. You need to stop and say, God, how will it help me today? That's right. How will it how will it touch my heart today? How can I apply it to me today? Because you said all scripture 
is given. It's inspired. It's given for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, so we can be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You know what this book's designed to get us to do? To come to Jesus, give our life to him, and serve him until he takes us home. That's what this is designed to do. And guess what? After this life, see, the scientists can tell us. They claim they can tell us how this earth came to be. Why don't you ask the scientists, how's this world going to end? Right? How's it going to end? Well, that's hard, right? Because they, they can't run experiments on the future. They can guess. They can say, well, the sun's going to burn up and blow up and everything else. They can say all these things. Or I can say, you know what? I know what's going to happen. This earth is going to dissolve after the Lord comes back. Right? And one day, he's going to judge everybody in this life. And those that trusted in him, in Jesus Christ, are going to be with him forever. And John saw a new heaven and a new earth. Yeah. For the right. first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. I'm looking forward to that day. The statue can't tell me about that day. And I can't find hope in the statue. I can't find hope in that idol that's hidden in my heart. That I'm allowing to drive my life. But I can put my hope and trust in Jesus Christ. He'll never let me down. I'm going to ask everyone to stand this morning.